senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman! Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. And I'm an incredibly broken Amanda. <laughs> yes, this is episode 46, and uh, we are not at our best today. Hi, folks. Because, well, we we are middle-aged people. Yes. Um, Back in the day, uh, you and I were both road comedians and spent a lot of time out night after night after night. Yes. It's been a while since we've lived that way, but... Yes. Yeah, last night, somebody that Amanda and I used to work with in comedy had a grand return to the stage after five or six or seven years. Yes. And, uh, of course, it closed the show, which meant he went on stage at 11.20. <clears throat> but we went with another buddy of ours to this club in downtown Boston, and a friend of his was performing earlier, so we had to get there at, like six and being us we started drinking immediately and yes so I, yeah i started with tequila because i make good choices yeah that was not a good choice <laughs> that's the worst possible choice it's I've an seen excellent you make. choice while i was making it oh of course it's always a good idea while you're doing it but so yeah we stayed and the show ended at midnight and we hung around for another half hour to, to see the guy and congratulate him on a good show and and say my goodbyes. And... Yeah, and then finally get home at one something, and yeah, all of which I would have laughed off as a mild night out when I was twenty six. I would say though, a highlight, just a little detour there. A highlight of that was uh, my GPS off with our cabbie on oh. the drive home, who <laughs> yeah. wanted to take us on like the longest and most like costly route, and I'm like, no, 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 man, I have GPS in my phone because yeah. it's twenty first century. Well. <laughs> First of all, it's yeah, we we no longer drink and drive because again, we were road comics. We've done our time drinking and driving. Yeah. I've done my time, your time, our first 10 listeners time. I've done a lot of <laughs> drinking and driving. Ill-advised, got away with it, never Don't hurt. Don't do it. Yeah, never hurt myself, never hurt anybody else. Made a conscious decision several years ago. I'm not even going to drive if I have a drink in me. It's not worth it. We live in the city, we can get to stuff. Right. We can have a good time without having to drive. At the same time, yes, it's the 21st century, but I am not an aficionado of Uber. Um, <laughs> I like my kidneys. Yeah, but I, I don't want to be raped and killed and harvested. <laughs> um, you, know, you could say what you want about, oh, when you hail a cab, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, you do. You're going to get somebody who at least had enough of a background check to be behind a medallion, <laughs> who is insured. Yes. And granted, may not know their way around whatsoever, but you're probably going to be yeah, relatively safe. So, but yeah, it's, we live on the outskirts of Boston. So whenever we tell them where to go, it's always the first thing they do is, oh, do you want to take the pike? And they, they know Which this. Which is a toll road. Yeah. And they, they, it's a semi-direct route that always seems to take longer and winds up making it a $50 drive. At least. Yeah. So, so yeah, we're just drunk in the back seat, and Amanda is barking out orders to this poor man. Well, the guy's like... Pike, right? Pike. I'm like, we're near Soldier's Field Road. Those of you that don't live in Boston or near it, that means nothing to you. For those of you that live in or near Boston, you should know that that's a, a an alternate route that doesn't cost money. Yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a fairly main drag west out of the city. So, so yeah, Amanda's barking orders, and because of that, it was a thirty five dollar cab ride. <laughs> 
but because we still live like in the ass end of nowhere suburbs so well we are on the outskirts of the city but it's suburbs enough that your average downtown cab driver probably knows the main street we live near yeah unless they grew up in like the newtonish area which is another suburb of of boston (laughs) yeah but so yeah the, the point is it was a long hard road home that at 26 i would have said great Let's go to work tomorrow <laughs> at, at 43. God, it's been a long fucking day. Didn't help that I capped my evening with whiskey after you passed out on the couch either. Yeah, you made a lot of good choices. <laughs> Mixing your booze and you know, switching from tequila to the, the shittiest of fucking draft beers. Well, there's some stuff I needed to drink out of my brain last night. It was a great show um, as far as the performers went. Some of the crowd was concerning to me (laughs) well it it was not a comedy crowd it was a music crowd which means that certain substances were consumed well and there was also just a contingent of and 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 i don't want to punch down because they're my people white suburban girls um (laughs) in boston i can't believe that and and dancing dancing with abandon and that's great um girl whose entire dance move consisted of i think i have to pee my pants like a three-year-old she did look as if she was being mildly (laughs) tased or or had found a live wire on the dance floor yeah i don't know what strain of molly you had but i hope it was worth it (laughs) no i was telling my buddy sully last night it's like no no that that smirnoff ice is a hell of a drug and then there was the other one who um, everything she learned she learned from zumba And I was really kind of wishing that the the venue did not have clearly posted no moshing signs because I think Zumba mosh pit would be just the greatest <laughs> thing ever. That, I was not thinking along those terms. I was thinking I'd really like to savage some of these people and be just able to still not wind up in shackles. Careening back and forth like you're on a damn slip and slide. Wee! <laughs> Jesus and Christ. And I pick her up gently and put her back in because we're all beautiful in the mosh pit (laughs) (laughs) no there there is no beauty in the mosh pit so it it was a fun night out but we are no longer equipped to do things like that (laughs) it's a much longer recovery time than it used to be not the man i knew 10 years ago it's the mileage it's the mileage you were busy when you weren't passed out I do have a few new sound clips here, some some make it work out today. <laughs> so on the plus side, it was a good day to sit around and just read comic books and get sort of caught up on the week's take. Mm. So, yes. yeah, I mean, and looking at the, the week's comics news, let's start with Star Wars. Let's start with Star Wars. Because it's actual comic book related. Yeah. But, you know, with the, the movie coming out, Marvel has taken the rights to Star Wars comics uh, as of the first of this uh, next year, I think, mm-hmm. uh, taking them back from Dark Horse Comics, who's had them since at least the early 90s. Um, and this week, Marvel announced that Star Wars number one, written by Jason Aaron, drawn by John Cassidy, uh, it's going to sell <laughs> at least one million copies. One million copies have been pre-sold to the direct market and various other yep which sounds impressive and makes everybody reminiscent of the huge numbers that star wars won back in 1977 fucking sold mm. but 
I have no fucking idea how they're even remotely going to move that many comic books. Yeah, unless they're planning on giving them away for free places. Well, they, and they must be. Are they going into swag bag for somebody? <laughs> I, I'm sure that's possible. Maybe eight or ten or fifteen copies of it to, <laughs> to make those kind of numbers. Because, uh, well, and part of it is there's there's like thirty six different variant covers between ones that are going to be available for like general sale at comic yeah. stores with varying levels of incentives. But we'll talk about that in a minute. And there's some for like specific comic stores. Okay. But I saw one. I'm sure we'll get to it though. But yeah, through my fucking drunken hungover haze today, I did some research because a million in today's comics market, that's a big fucking number. And uh, there's this website, Comicron.com, that has sales numbers going back to at least like the mid 90s. <laughs> so you can keep track of this stuff. Now, recently, the biggest selling comic books have been Amazing Spider-Man 583. That was the Obama cover. Okay. That was back in 2009. And that had huge press behind it. And even that only sold 530,500 copies. But it's the biggest selling comic book of the 21st century so far. Okay. So right out of the gate, they're saying they're going to sell twice as many as the biggest seller <laughs> in the last 14 years. The last million selling comic book, depending on who you listen to, was either Batman 500 which was October 1993, so 21 years ago at the height of the speculator boom, right before the bottom fell out. Right. Or it was Pokemon, the electric tale of Pikachu in November 1998 when the bottom had fallen out of comic books, but kids still needed shit to trade and talk shit about on the schoolyard. So. Well, it's Pokemon, though, so are they also counting like you know, Japanese numbers in that? Because then I'm more willing to believe. <laughs> I honestly don't know. <laughs> International numbers, sure. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. So it's very possible. Okay. Um, you know, the biggest seller of all time is still Jim Lee's X-Men that had five different covers. Each one of them sold like a million and a half. But I, I don't know how Star Wars is going to sell that much. And, and here's here's a lot of my reasoning. I spent a lot of time on the internet today because doing anything requiring me to move was really going to be a problem for the most part. <laughs> Looking at this... This for the Star Wars one from Marvel. It's got an A-list writer and artist. It takes place between Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. Now, it was announced after Disney bought Lucasfilm, after Disney announced that there was going to be a new Star Wars film, after J.J. Abrams was announced as the director, and after Disney said, okay, there's no more continuity. The, the comic books, the expanded universe is not in continuity anymore. It's just right. the movies. So it's very clear that... This might be an awesome story, but it's not canon. Right. Now, Dark Horse just did a Star Wars series that ended in August. It started January 2013. And it was much hyped, and then it sort of just kind of petered out. It, it, was, it was very hyped. Had an A-list writer. Uh, the, the artists were all very good, but mm -hmm. not, you know, a big name like John Cassidy. But at least it had the A-list writer in common with this one. And it was Brian Wood. Brian Wood, yeah. Yeah. Um, also took place in between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. Was also announced after the Disney takeover. Now, the Disney takeover was the end of October 2012. So this first issue was January 2013. So that's not a factor. That's not different. It was released about two weeks after J.J. Abrams was announced as a director. First issue uh, came out January 9th, and the announcement was January 26th. Um... This 
however, was released before anybody knew that the expanded universe was not going to be in canon. So it even had that going for it in that people could pick it up and say, this is important. Right. The first issue sold 39,663 copies. The second issue, which was after the Abrams announcement and after a lot of really good reviews for the first issue, it bumped up. It went to 46,063 copies. Gee, Rob, this, these numbers <laughs> are still rather far from 1 million. They, they certainly are. <laughs> well, the third issue, that went down 45,756. The fourth issue, 45,019. And they declined every single month until the last issue. Issue 20, uh, which was in August, sold 26,645. Combined, it didn't come up to a million copies <laughs> of fucking comic books. Now, the only other variable that could work against the Dark Horse Star Wars was Brian Wood got dinged for allegedly trying to convince some aspiring comics professionals that industry success was a short kneel and a tonsil splash away. Um, but even that, that was October 2013, around issue 10 or 11. Yep. So the initial, air quote, big numbers mm -hmm. of... 46,000 copies, that didn't have an effect on it. Okay. So what the fuck is Marvel doing differently that makes them think they can move a million copies? I don't know. It's, I mean, that's it's the only thing I can think of is, you know, if they're planning on putting it in, like, spinner racks somewhere in Epcot. Or well, <laughs> and that's a possibility, because uh, when it was announced, um, I, I forget where I saw it, but there was an interview with Marvel's... Uh, Vice President of Sales and Marketing, David Gabriel. And he said, and I'm quoting here, there are a number of new outlets that we're working with here in terms of the folks purchasing and selling a large number of exclusive covers. Again, back to variant covers. Um, which in the end means that this very large number of comics will be sold in places we haven't necessarily had comic sales. Like Scholastic Book Club? Because, <laughs> <laughs> again, that's the only thing I can think of. Is that even still a thing? I have no idea. I mean... <laughs> I still owe my third grade teacher like eight bucks for various things. And with inflation, that's easily thousands of dollars. Well, <laughs> thankfully, I looked it up and she died about eight years ago. Oh, so I'm okay. off the hook. But, and I can account for my whereabouts that day. So, but I mean, yeah, off the top of my head, are Disney stores still a thing? Uh, maybe. In malls? I don't know. I, I haven't looked in one it hasn't registered on my radar since there was fucking rocketeer merchandise in the windows of them if we can ever bring ourselves to haul our carcasses back into boston and walk around um and it's going to take me several months to recover enough to do that oh i may never be the same again so i believe there used to be a disney store or they and may, it may still be in faneuil hall <laughs> quincy market that tourist trap it's possible <laughs> i know they were in malls all over the place yeah. and god knows i don't spend time in malls like i did in the 80s when I was a teenager, but I, I imagine that even if I didn't look at it, I'd feel my butthole pucker hearing, let it go, well, <laughs> just you walking know, past it. That that and the fact that that mall Santa has that restraining order, you can't go back. He knows what he fucking did. <laughs> I'll get that son of a bitch if it's the last thing I do. But uh, I guess that's a possibility. Disney World, Disneyland, but with the amount of crap on sale, it, it, and I haven't been to either Disney World or Disneyland since, shit, I was 16 years old. Yeah, me too. But they're both in the South. They're sweaty places where you wander around exhausted. Is that... Well, I think one of them's in California. Like, there's that whole Anaheim thing. Well, 
okay, it's it's not the South like you got a pretty mouth South, but it's still <laughs> fucking hot there. True. That's what I'm getting at. So you're hot and exhausted. You know, if your kid says, I want this fragile magazine, are you really going to pick it up and walk around with it all day, shove it in your fanny pack? <laughs> I mean, sure, son, we'll get your collector's item. Let's see how it fares on Space Mountain. Well, yeah, it's just like, oh, no, your your copy of, of the Star Wars comic didn't survive the log ride. We'll have to get another one. <laughs> I guess that'll move issues, but but yeah, it, I guess they could do it in like Walmart or other department stores i would imagine any store that carries any kind of disney merchandise you could probably either offer it for those retails to buy and put on sale or shove it down their throats for some reason yeah it makes me wonder are they gonna like start stocking it in toys r us or something or well because yeah back when i was a kid in the late 70s early 80s at toys r us and at a lot of department stores you could get pre-sealed bags of like three comics yeah i don't know I don't know if they were reprints at the time or, you know, just back inventory. It's like we got to get them the fuck out of Diamond or whoever was distributing yeah. at the time. But you could get some books. It was a grab bag, but you could get some. Um, I don't know. <laughs> so, and yeah, I suppose Disney could ram it down Toys R Us's throat and say, yes, if you want the, the Tickle Me Princess Elsa. <laughs> I think that would be more for offer at the porno store, but for the sake of argument, we'll we'll say it's a Toys R Us for the the older, more adventurous kids. I'm not even going to touch that. Yeah, it's like that... a cold figures action like joke there that I'm just going to leave alone. Yeah, but write that down. That's the first title. <laughs> Tickle me, Princess Elsa. It's the first possible title of the show. Okay. Um, that could be good, in the sense that Star Wars certainly could have the potential to bring new readers into comics new kid readers yeah you know and that whole you know get them while they're young and pump their head full of it own them forever like the catholic church like what like, <laughs> like marvel and dc have done with me since i was about five years old but um but it, so yeah it could it's good in the sense it would it will show kid there kids there is such a thing as a comic book and here is an example in the wild yeah but Unless issue two, three, four, and other comic books are on sale, it's not going to help kids who might say, I would like to see another one of these potential comic book type device things that exist. Yeah, I suppose it's worth asking our local comic book store owner, um, you know, on Wednesday, our regularly appointed time. <laughs> and I did mean to go in today and, and ask him if there were any incentives that he got, if he's over-ordered, um, to get some incentives, although at our store he doesn't really traffic a whole hell of a lot in variant covers. Right. Now there are certainly stores I've been to where yeah, you walk in the door and the day it's on sale and all the variants have been carefully pulled out and are already on the wall for twenty, thirty dollars a piece. Yeah. And I think that's gonna be a part of it. I think there's probably gonna be a large percentage of these books that just wind up fucking pulped or chucked in the dumpsters. Yeah. To to get to those numbers, because there's a ridiculous number of fucking variant covers. Yeah, it's, it's it's not an area that I have a particular amount of expertise in, although I seem to recall him talking once about, you know, if you have things that don't move, like you box them up and you ship them back for a certain amount or something. Well, it's certain books they allow returns on. Yeah. A lot of them they don't. Um, and, and generally, if I understand it right, again, I'm not a comics retailer, but... It, those are certain books where we want you to take a chance on it. Like I think with all of the new 52s, it was okay. if you order a certain amount, 
will take returns on certain other ones, but it's certainly not every book. But I could see Disney Marvel pulling that with this if only they can if only so they can have the attention grab grabbing headline of, you know, one million of this book will be printed and, and distributed. Yeah. <laughs> but I think probably more of it is going to be just looking at some of these variants and the numbers that are in there. Now we go to really a I don't want to say mom and pop shop. It's pretty mom and pop. But, but it's one dude. Yeah. It's not huge. It is a particular storefront on a main street on the edge of Boston. <laughs> now, it's not like Forbidden Planet with X number of locations all across the right. world. But I mean, some of these variants, there's a J. Scott Campbell connecting cover where you get one for every 50 that you order. Uh, there's a John Cassidy, Bob McLeod uh, that you get one in 25. There's a movie variant of <laughs> and it's not even a movie picture variant from the the for the force awakens or the force what the hell's the title i forgot uh, the force tingles <laughs> uh, i think it's that's, the force awakens yeah um <laughs> that's how shattered i am today it's one of the biggest <laughs> event i can't think of it but uh no it's from fucking star wars it's a 40 year old picture <laughs> but some of these there's a joe quesada very, there's one Joe Quesada variant that's you get one for every hundred. Okay. There's another one you get one for every fucking five hundred. Jesus. Yeah, and there will be big stores that can afford to say, yeah, fuck it. If it's one in five hundred, if I get five hundred of the wholesale price and sell yeah. this one issue for two thirds of it, um, Jesus Christ, one of these fucking things. There's a John Tyler Christopher. With fucking Jackson on it. Remember yeah, Jackson? Yeah. The fucking Green Rabbit. Shut up from... in issue seven. No, issue eight. eight. He wasn't I'm in sorry. seven. The seven was the first one where uh yeah, Han Solo got uh picked up and sent on the mission to, to help clear the price. Is that the off cover with all the Banthas on the front cover? So I think I had that. No, that was uh later. Okay. Um I had some of the ones like that came out like right after because like issues one through six were the movie. Yeah. And then after that, because I think my dad picked them up. Yeah, Seven, if I remember right, had Han Solo crouching behind a rock with Chewbacca behind him. Okay. Uh, eight had Han Solo at the front of like a magnificent seven line of, <laughs> you know, these, uh, they weren't the Cloud Riders, because Cloud Riders were the bad guys they were after. Okay. But uh, whatever team he put together with this fucking green rabbit. Bugs Bunny cartoon yeah. rabbit. I remember looking at it going, you weren't in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> what I mean, are you? <laughs> I, I was... I was six years old when that book came out, and that was the first time I'm like, this really isn't Star Wars. Yeah, I had and... the same exact reaction. But right. that basically is what's encapsulated in this cover, is all yeah. of the original characters sort of trying to push Jax out. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll pull that picture, and I'll put that uh, for the show notes on our website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com, if you want to take a look at it. But Yes, yeah, if a six-year-old has cognitive dissonance looking at a, a Star Wars issue. <laughs> well, and I was predisposed to think of Star Wars as fucking cartoony, because this, to this day, I remember my, my... I don't know if I've told this story on the show before, but eh, fuck it, for what you're paying, you'll hear it again. <laughs> um, my parents, because I was five when Star Wars was released, my brother was three, so my parents went to see it first to see if it would be okay for us. And I'd probably seen a couple commercials, but I didn't know anything about it. I distinctly remember the next morning, my mom waking me up <laughs> saying, we're going to take you to see this movie next week. And it is about a boy who has a flashlight that's a sword. <laughs> and his best friend is a golden man. And his best friend is a gumball machine. 
<laughs> and I distinctly remember at five years old thinking, is this a cartoon? I, this doesn't even sound as good as Battle of the Planets. I don't even chew gum, but I would pay, pay real money for an R2-D2 gumball machine. Oh, yeah, that, that would beep and just yeah. fire it at your face like it's defending Woo! itself. <laughs> but, so, yeah, it, I'd have probably been, you'd think I'd be predisposed thinking it's a cartoon to start with to, oh, yeah, Green Bugs Bunny. <laughs> no, it's like, oh, Jesus. Uh, but, yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, th- there's just so many variants. I, ga- I got to imagine <laughs> if there's a million copies of this, fully a quarter million of them have to go directly into a quarter bin, if not the fucking round yeah. file. Um, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe they're going to get pulped for some recycling initiative. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, when you go to Disney World and <laughs> go into the men's room, there's something to read right on the roll. We're not even going to bind these 500,000 copies. We're just going to roll them up. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. No, do not pass anything because that printed toilet paper will be rough on you. <laughs> and I can, I don't know. I can understand the hype of a million copies. I'd, I'd rather hype the creative team, and, and even that, if you stop and think about it, which I, which I did, but it's better. Jason Aaron. Yeah, I love Jason Aaron as a oh, writer. Yeah. How do you explain to somebody now? Now, who wrote this comic? Is it the guy who who did that nice comic book called Men of Wrath, where where one of the main characters kills a baby in the first ten pages? Well, yes, you might know him from his other work, Southern Bastards. Yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, yeah, looking back, those first six issues of Star Wars, Howard Chaykin drew them. Yeah, you know, Black Kiss Howard Chaykin. <laughs> These guys can have good Star Wars. I feel like I want to go back with like a mic- micro- microscope or like a magnifying glass. Let's find the dicks. Where are the dicks? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to the comics. <laughs> but, and I can understand that there's got to be a lot of nostalgia at Marvel over because the big story everybody tells is that the Star Wars comic in 1977 saved Marvel. Yes. You know, that was before Jim Shooter took over and while alienating everybody apparently in the free world. <laughs> Yeah, still started to get the books to come out on time and have a reasonable quality. Um, everybody says that when Roy Thomas picked up the Star Wars license, it saved Marvel at the time. But you're not going to get that kind of enthusiasm about a Star Wars comic now. No. It's just, it's a different time. And we talked a little bit little bit about it when The Force Awakens... Uh, awoke. Awoke. Yeah, awoke. <laughs> um, actually, yeah, God help me. I, I got to... I am so brain damaged. Okay. I can't remember if it's the Force Awakens. I'm pretty sure it's the Force Awakens. Yeah. Yeah, it's T F A W. So Force Awakens. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So you're not as brain damaged as you think you are. Uh, I might be peeing right now. Well, at least you're not sitting in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're welcome. But, <laughs> but we we talked about it when we did that episode. When Star Wars came out, the only way you knew you're going to see it again is if you went to see it. Again. Yeah, back in the theaters. <laughs> and Star Wars at least felt at the time, again, I was five, six years old, it felt like it was in theaters forever. Because I think it was relative to now. Yeah, I think it was probably out until the end of the year. I'm fairly certain that we ended up seeing it at a second run kind of theater in a suburb, over from a suburb, over from a suburb. And I didn't even live anywhere near Boston at that point. I lived out in Central Mass. So. Yeah. 
It, but yeah, it, it hung around forever, and then yeah, second run theaters, which were much more of a thing yeah. back then than now, uh, they had a run there, and it was re released in like seventy eight or seventy nine. But otherwise, there was no home video. Yeah. So, if you wanted more Star Wars as a kid in nineteen seventy seven or seventy eight, you had to get this ancillary merchandise. I'm actually trying to think. My my dad might have been cheap enough that he would have had us go see it at like a drive in or or something. I know we saw Empire in a theater. Star Wars might have been at the drive-in. I, I know I saw Star Wars in the theater. Um, I had seen a lot of movies in the drive-ins. Because, yeah, around New England, there were still drive-ins pretty much all over the place yeah. at that point. They didn't really die out until the mid-'80s. And that was, you know, my dad was all over that shit. You know, two movies, two bucks for the carload. Didn't matter if, like, the, the second movie was going to be rated R because the kids were generally going to be asleep except it wasn't I totally saw body heat but um <laughs> but uh I, I could see us having gone to to Star Wars at the at the drive-in because dad was cheap <laughs> hey drive-ins were a good time I mean yeah the kids fall asleep in the back seat mom and dad could bring a six-pack of beer for yeah. all I know there are hand jobs going on in the front seat I don't want to know, wanna know. <laughs> yeah, I'm better off not knowing my mom did pop her own popcorn because again dad was cheap but yeah. honestly you know Homemade popcorn versus movie theater popcorn. You know, there, there's a greater than sign there. <laughs> there is, and your arteries stay open just slightly longer. Just I suppose, slightly but, longer. <laughs> but yeah, I like drive-ins. Yeah, there was a where near where I went to school, uh, where I went to college. There was still a drive-in. Yep. There I, were hand jobs in the front seat. <laughs> I I still don't want to know. No. <laughs> I may have Polaroids. <laughs> I. You know what? This is me but, not wanting to know. All right, but. but so, but the the fact that, yeah, you certainly weren't getting in your own car at six year old to go see Star Wars again. No. So, yeah, that's what sold these comic books. And I had probably five out of six of the original issues, and they reprinted them in the big treasury editions. I had those. And so you're buying them two and three times to, to keep them. Yeah. Um, and the Star Wars storybook and the story of Star Wars album. And you talked about the art of Star Wars book. You know, the reality of, the Force Awakens is if it opens on December 18th next year, you'll be able to watch it in your house by fucking Memorial Day. Absolutely. As many times as you want. If not before then, depending on your you know feelings about how to acquire things. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the reality is this is also a different story because, number one, the that Marvel Star Wars that everybody bought and saved, the, that was an adaptation of the movie. Right. This is not. This takes place between Star Wars and Empire. You know, if you're a kid, this is a story about a fucking 40-year-old movie. <laughs> you're not going to kick down the door of Toys R Us to grab yourself a copy of it. It's a good point. And, and also, you have to wonder, even for, for fans our age, what stories could they be telling that they feel are that important that are going to fill in the gaps between Star Wars and Empire? But I don't think of it that way because I really enjoyed Brian Wood's Star Wars. Yeah. You know, exactly the same time period, obviously going to be different stories. So, you know, for someone our age, that's our Star Wars. So if it's a decent story set in that time period with those heroes and protagonists and villains that we grew up with of course it's going to be interesting to us it'll be interesting but again enough to move a million copies which and, is our whole premise for, for and, discussing this. and it, it's certainly not yeah it absolutely can't be i, I think the, the 
there's a reason I brought up those dark horse numbers. That's the real demand for this book. Yeah. Now, and it's about even if you double it, because now there's a trailer, so more and more people are excited. You're still talking less than a hundred thousand copies. This is true. So, I mean, it's one of those things. It sounds great on paper if you don't stop and think about it too much. Oh, it's great they sold a million. Well, no, they fucking didn't. It's <laughs> not gonna. A million people aren't gonna read this book. Yeah. So a million people aren't gonna have this book in their hands for long enough to find the fucking next. <laughs> it's gonna be the old Mitch Hedberg here. You throw this away. <laughs> you like when I was shilling for whatever open mic I was going to that week, standing on the corner, take this card, please, please. I'm so cold. Jesus, <laughs> you're making me sad. <laughs> the reason I got out of comedy, for Christ's sake. I never had to do that. You <laughs> you got in the wrong way. <laughs> there there are levels of... of... And, and now, is, now it's time for me to say I don't want to hear any fucking hand job stories. <laughs> From my Roseanne bar. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just... It's one of those things that's a great fucking headline. A million copies. Wow, like the old days. But it's it just it can't fucking be. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. I love Jason Aaron. I love John Cassidy's art. I'm I'm sure I'll really like this book. And I'm sure there'll be about ninety other thousand people just like me who really like this book. And it's not gonna be worth a plugged fucking nickel because there's a million copies of it floating around somewhere. Yeah, I I'll be curious to see what our, our, our comic book store owner guy has to say. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to ask him on Wednesday to see if he got any pressure or huge deals or if it's returnable or, or something. What the story is. Yeah. All right. You want to talk more other movies? Yes, let's. So, yeah. Um, Sony <laughs> is <laughs> fucked. Sony's <laughs> been having a bad couple weeks. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to break into this. Uh, Sony's boned. They're boned. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, they, if you haven't heard, somehow uh, they had their servers hacked by somebody uh, on November 24th, and a whole bunch of shit has been leaked. Emails from the highest level of Sony pictures. Didn't and, you say there was one in there from Joel McHale asking for a discount on a TV? There was. That's awesome. Uh, apparently Joel McHale, <laughs> right after Community was canceled, emailed someone and said, can I get a discount on like an 80-inch TV? And <laughs> then there was a back and forth between a few people and some executive finally said, just charge it to the fucking show and we'll figure it out later. Just give him the TV. I didn't know where we'd put an 80-inch TV. <laughs> if we were on Community, we would put it on the wall of our fucking mansion. <laughs> Yeah, that show made it five years and syndication. That's They're doing true. all right for themselves. Mikhail probably could have written a check. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's been a ton of weird, embarrassing shit about Sony coming out. Um, like, there's a contingent of Sony executives who don't like or trust Angelina Jolie, <laughs> which I am behind. Let's, okay. rem let's, rem <laughs> let's remember that in the 90s, she became popular by carrying knives and implying she would fuck anything that walked, moved, or crawled, including her brother. Yeah, but this is also how we got Johnny Lee Miller. He makes an excellent Sherlock. He does, but it's how <laughs> she got Billy Bob Thornton, who makes an excellent vector of infection. <laughs> if I'm Brad Pitt, I'm setting a vibrate alarm to wake me up at 3 <laughs> o'clock every morning so I can tiptoe to the bathroom and scrub my junk with janitor and a drum. <laughs> What, no Listerine like the girl in Cabin Fever? Well. <laughs> Actually, no, it was the guy in Cabin Fever because of the girl. <laughs> I don't want to leave any stone unturned when it comes to that. So I would try that. What the hell? 
Um, but yeah, there's also executives flinging around racist jokes about the president. Um, it turns out there are celebrities who check into hotel under fake names, and they have the fucking fake names. That's great. Like Toby Maguire goes by Neil Deep. <laughs> I'm guessing because Neil and Bob was either a little on the nose, or Tom Cruise called that one. <laughs> um, Jessica Alba goes by Cash Money. I heard that, uh, and this is slightly off off of that. I heard that George Clooney's email handle is Batman Senior. <laughs> That's a shame, and it makes me sad. <laughs> At least it's not top Batman, <laughs> butch Batman. Well, then who's bottom Batman? <laughs> that would be Val Kilmer. <laughs> um, but yeah, the most important thing is it proved, and there were rumors about this for a while, but it proved that Sony and Marvel have at least had talks about letting Marvel use Spider-Man in the Marvel Studios movies. Yes. Um, and this is apparently as of recently. Um, one of the emails was October 30th. And Sony's head of motion pictures, Amy Pascal, uh, was copy- at least copied on an email that Marvel wanted to use Spider-Man in Civil War. Um, Which would make sense because in the actual comic book, he is somewhat pivotal because he allows himself to be unmasked. Well, yes. Um, and there were rumors at Comic-Con that that might have been one of the bombshells. Um, certainly, obviously, it didn't happen. But right. you know, there was... Some hint that at least Kevin Feige wanted to at least try to do it to have it announced for Comic-Con. Now, supposedly all the talks have ended, but Latina Review had a story this week that what Sony actually passed on was that they would uh, Marvel and Sony would split Spider-Man's movie cost 60-40, yep. um, with Marvel paying the 60%, but it would give Marvel control, like creative control of the character. Right. Um but also, they wanted Andrew Garfield gone, and supposedly uh, Pascal was a big uh, supporter of Andrew Garfield. Well, he has done a great job with the character, um, and I, and that's that was a big deal because I I enjoyed you know they're flawed now. If you go back, everything's flawed. If you go back, but I enjoyed Tobey Maguire in the initial couple of Spider-Man movies when Raimi had it, um, but Andrew um, Garfield really kind of grew on me. Oh yeah, I thought particularly in. There was not a huge amount that was awesome about Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. But he was really good as Spider-Man. Right. Where Raimi's films fell down for me was Spider-Man was visually perfect, particularly given the special effects at the time. But Spider-Man needs to be cracking wise. Yeah. Yeah. Starting shit up. If only to try to convince himself that. You know, I've got this under control, even though I'm 16 years old and shitting my pants because this man with four mechanical arms is trying to rip my scrotum apart. Well, yeah, and and if the the emotional arc and and character arc of of the villain is more compelling emotionally to you than that of your protagonist, <laughs> that's a problem. Well, that was a problem with the first two, three, four Batman movies. Some people don't let that get in the way. True, but but yeah, I thought Garfield was, you know, and certainly. His Peter Parker was he potentially too good looking and <laughs> athletic and cool to be? Eh, maybe it's hard to say. I like to believe that I'm smoking hot and awesome now, but I, I, you know, in high school I didn't look that much different. Yeah, except for your haircut, which was abominable. But <laughs> it was 1988, and I had a mullet. Says Mr. Mullet. <laughs> yeah, so it was the time we we all must be forgiven our sins, but. So, 
But yeah, apparently now Sony Japan, you know, the big conglomerate, um, they're kind of pissed at Sony's movie arm, not just because of the hack, but because how Amazing Spider-Man 2 performed at the box office. And while we generally liked it, and I think we liked it more than a lot of people did. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the fucking thing's already on cable. I mean, it is. I, I grabbed it off the TiVo a, a week ago, and that's like seven months from opening to Star. Not even HBO, fucking Stars. As opposed to what we were talking about earlier with Star Wars that seemed to be in the theaters forever and ever and ever. <laughs> oh, yeah, never made TV until 1982, I think. Right. So, yeah, they they moved that through the pipe to get as much money as they could out of it as quickly as they could. Um, so the question becomes, you know, is it really more financially viable for Sony to give the franchise back? There were also reports that Marvel was trying to do this because they had heard the creative direction that Sony was considering taking Spider-Man and his sort of um, benches of characters um, and was not happy about certain possible titles that were going to be coming out as spinoffs like the Aunt May movie. <laughs> yeah, there were... Supposedly, they were talking about just doing a movie about Aunt May and her her espionage shenanigans. As... Well, you know, Julia Child was a spy, apparently. <laughs> yes, but but Aunt May has always had a heart condition. <laughs> and just the idea of that terrible Spider-Man would send her, oh, into the vapors. Yeah, but that's not really how Sally Field was playing May. <laughs> that is true, but... It, this would have been a younger Aunt May, so you can't... I, I, who the fuck would go to an Aunt May movie, for Christ's sake? I might have. <laughs> but actually, the the latest thing, supposedly, that came from these uh, these emails was... Even Sony has been kind of pissed at Andrew Garfield and thinking about getting rid of him and just doing a hard reboot without another origin story, but going straight to Craven's Last Hunt. Huh. Um, and so, I mean, well, he is contracted for one more, but if Marvel was to somehow get this supposedly spiked deal approved, uh, Marvel would have the right to pull that last movie and recast. Possibly. I'm not sure how that would work. Yeah. Cause I he, don't know. contract or not, like I said, Sony, I think was looking to get rid of Andrew Garfield. And there've been a lot of stories just in the last few days that, it looks like Garfield might be done no matter who does the next Spider-Man movie. So, well, you know, he's he's on the rise as a as an actor and and I'm sure he's got his fingers in a lot of other projects. Emma Stone certainly not coming back and part of the the appeal of him in these movies was his chemistry with her. Yeah, absolutely. So, and somebody somewhere online said, you know, the most interesting thing that that Emma Stone did was make Gwen Stacy compelling. <laughs> Yeah, she was always just sort of there for Peter to moon over. Yeah. As good as the death of Gwen Stacy story is, it's good because, wow, somebody had the balls to actually kill yeah. <laughs> Spider-Man's girlfriend, which was kind of unprecedented and was at 73, 74. Yes. So, they were doing edgy things, too. Harry was on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> on nondescript pills given to him by a gentleman <laughs> with a white man afro. Oh, God. That dexedrine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it apparently causes you to hallucinate and sweat. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what the dancers at the fucking club last night were on. They're on the Spider-Man acid. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, the ultimate takeaway is apparently these talks are still kind of ongoing because yeah, the main Sony is pissed that this Spider-Man money machine hadn't been able to generate all that much money for the last few years. Right. Yeah. And why not just take a piece of Marvel who's got the, the time and at this point the universe to drop Spider-Man in someplace. Well, and it, it makes sense for, uh, Marvel to try and get the property back because some of the other um, titles that they're trying to develop, you get to a certain point where if you have your Luke Cages and your Jessica Jones and and your Daredevils, you start to bleed over into Spider-Man's world. Yeah, absolutely. So you need some of those characters back. Or I suppose you can write around it and come up with similar characters, but then you run into potential copyright infringement in terms of characters that are are promised to Sony. (laughs) Well... I don't think Kevin Feige would be dumb enough to say uh, Bugman. Just he's a Bugman, and no, but he, it becomes a little challenging to tell certain stories without certain characters. Yeah, and certainly with the Netflix stuff coming out, they will be establishing the street level New York of the Marvel universe, where Spider-Man—that's his world, exactly. So it's prime for it. So I guess that's the question. Assuming some kind of deal actually can be made, and this is not the Latina review, they've certainly had some scoops, like you keep pointing out to me, they were the first ones to say that Iron Man 3 would be about Extremis. Yep. But they've also screwed screwed up other things too. So, but uh, assuming, yeah, they can work this out, how do you you get Spider-Man into the Marvel Universe? Like, quickly and or correctly? I think you, somebody else online pointed this out. You don't really have to do anything with them. You don't have to do an origin story because we've had two of them in the last decade. You have somebody go thwipping by in the middle of like Avengers Age of Ultron. We don't see him again. And and that's one place that makes sense. Um, Whether or not it can actually work. Because uh, while they're doing some reshoots, uh, that movie's been wrapped since August. Yeah. So you can't make it a big plot point. Nope, but you could, you could CGI him in. <laughs> yeah, th- that's true. Just sort of have him there. Yeah. Do a post credit sequence. Yeah, that's really all it would take. But, um, I mean, when it comes to Civil War, obviously you could do it because that hasn't even started shooting yet. Um, and like you said, it, that was a major part of the story in the original comic book. But unless they want to, supposedly the script is close to being locked and ready to start producing yep so unless they want to do a major rewrite to make spider-man part of it well they don't necessarily have to i mean if they get the property and if they decide that they no longer want to go with garfield which would make sense because he's getting older (laughs) yeah now this is an excellent place to drop in a miles morales or some or a a younger actor to play peter and and, uh, that was something i was going to get to yeah let's get to the question of who plays him because we don't even have to because i don't know who else plays him besides yeah go full miles morales and get donald fucking glover but he's as as much as he would be awesome if they're think if their rationale is younger he's like our age or like slightly younger he's childish gambino (laughs) is our age are you out of your fucking mind i don't talk about my age (laughs) i don't know how old donald glover is but he's not in his 30s okay so, but he's still he's still too old to be Miles Morales, who's supposed to be a teenager, a young teenager, junior high school kid. And Andrew Garfield was twenty seven when he played sixteen year old Peter Parker. 
Okay, yeah, point. The, what is it? The gray hair and the lines on Childish Gambino's face that make you concerned about him playing the <laughs> high school kid? <laughs> Fuck is the matter with you? No, but I'm just saying. Like, you did can't... you get drugs off those dancers last night? <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> Stop doing rails off strange toilets from strangers. I'm going to peek before you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think. I mean, I. This is also where my my vast. Uh, lack of knowledge of of popular actors who would fit the demographic for someone who is young enough to be a teenager um, is is causing me problems. I don't know who you'd cast. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, Donald <laughs> Glover is the only one I could think of as a name that's ever been mentioned. So, I mean, is, is there is there somebody on the Disney Channel who's looking for a boost this week? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. They're looking for amphetamines. Somebody from like a you know whatever their version of Hannah Montana is these days that they're looking like at. I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamine. I said no, but I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway. It, no, no, I, really. What else? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that you could find somebody from there, but with all the press that Donald Glover got is potentially being cast for Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. Why the fuck not? I don't disagree. I enjoy his work. I, I would definitely the, be excited if he was in it. The downside is, unless... He's Peter Parker. You kind of have to do an origin story. Yeah. Because if you have a dude named Miles Morales, now suddenly you've got questions you have to answer. Well, and again, if they've got the majority of Civil War written, how hard would it be to drop in a scene, especially if you have somebody just going thwip through Age of Ultron and you don't see him again, you know, as a, a point of, you know, I'm coming forward because I believe that, you know, with great power comes great responsibility and he takes off his mask and it's a, it's a black guy. <laughs> well, the and then, and then in some other movie, they decide to explore Miles Morales. Which they certainly could do. Um, yeah, it's, but at the same time, if it, if it's going to be some other dude, the, the problem becomes from a story standpoint for that to work, you need to establish somehow, and it can be done very quickly. Yeah. But you need to establish that Spider-Man is not just existing, but beloved enough in the Marvel Universe that his unmasking would make a difference on public opinion. True. So unless he, the mask comes off and it's, my name is Peter Parker, to establish, this is the Spider-Man you've been watching in five fucking movies over the last 12, 13 years. And now suddenly you've got... Yeah, a whole mess of other problems. No, I don't, I don't disagree with you on that. I'm just trying to figure out a way around. Yeah, and yeah. certainly it can be done, but it becomes more problematic. It's problematic either way, but but yeah, just have the mask come off and say, I'm Miles Morales. Who? Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but clearly it's possible, but that's close to having a script all set up so it'd be tough to make it a major part, but certainly it could be a cameo, like you said. Um, yeah, Avengers 2, it's wrapped. They could throw them in, in a cameo in reshoots or whatever, but it could be done. Or in a post-credit stinger or something. Yeah, that's all it would take to get that geek boner at like half-mast. And that's really <laughs> all Marvel needs. Um, yeah, Ant-Man, that wrapped two weeks ago. Certainly couldn't make Ant-Man worse than it appears <laughs> like it's going to be. Ants an insect, spiders a spider. Hmm. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? But after that, the next one that makes any sense is Avengers 3, because you don't want to put Spider-Man in another character's origin story. Right. 
So Doctor Strange is out, Black Panther is out, and either way, Spider-Man doesn't make a ton of sense with those because magic and Wakanda. Yeah. You know, unless you go Miles Morales, and then, but even then, it's still like how are you going to put him in Wakanda? Doesn't work. So the only other option at that point is just start doing standalone fucking Marvel Spider-Man movies. Yeah. (laughs) And even then, you know, yes, for the love of Christ, don't do another fucking origin story. That's the one thing that is leading away from Miles Morales to me. Make Donald Glover Peter Parker. That's fine. I don't care. But at this point, even fucking zygotes who were conceived after. <laughs> you know, it would be good to get the character back and, and all of the other characters that are associated with him in the balance. But one of the arguments um, for not necessarily bothering to get him back is they've taken a, a great deal of time and care to take risks on creating movie properties on characters they wouldn't otherwise. If you have access to Spider-Man or if they had had X-Men back or Fantastic Four back, would they have made a Guardians of the Galaxy? Would they be bothering with a Doctor Strange or a Black Panther movie? Yeah, all of which is true, but those things have been done. Those things have been committed to. They've not really had a huge misstep any place along the way, maybe the Incredible Hulk, but that's about it. Now they've got the TV properties working in sync with the movies, with the introduction of the Inhumans in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. last week, uh, and the Netflix stuff coming out. You've laid the groundwork. Spider-Man done even remotely right is a license to print fucking money. Yeah. You know, but, what, but, are they going to say, oh, but we, we went to all this trouble... Oh, these movies, if we do them even close to the way we did these others, yes, they'll make $500 million a piece, but they'll fuck with the integrity of the, the universe well, we no, come up with? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that I think because they haven't had access to the easier characters, your X-Men, your Fantastic Four, their Spider-Man, they've taken that much more care with creating solid properties on lesser-known characters. Because, yeah... Spider-Man should be a fucking license to make bank and they've had to reboot it twice. Yeah. Now Fantastic Four is going through a reboot. Fantastic Four is at this point, they're looking for a gimmick because Fox owns that one too, um, where they're going to do some sort of crossover with the X-Men in a, in a movie sometime out in the near future. Well, because everybody wants a piece of that fat Marvel universe money. Everybody with any kind of superhero property in the movies is trying to do that now yeah i mean even sony just has spider-man but they were trying like hell we're gonna have secret six and we're gonna have spider gwen and we're gonna do all this shit (laughs) spider gwen spider Gwen. (laughs) (laughs) so uh, you're stupid not to at least try it warner brothers is working like hell to do it It, everybody's gonna do that right now yeah so but, but yeah i can't imagine marvel in any way saying, well, we're not going to make Spider-Man movies if we can get the the character because, uh, oh, we've worked so hard. And they'll absolutely do it. And hopefully they'll be smart enough to say, we need to take the same painstaking level of detail to have this be quality and get good directors and actors. So we wind up with something as solid as Guardians of the Galaxy, but with, let's face it, our fucking flagship character. No, absolutely. And it, but I, I hope that in doing so, they also don't take the time and effort away from the other things that they have slated because it sounds like it's been fairly well thought out. Yeah. So, you know, 
if they get it to be like, ooh, let's shoehorn this in. And, you know, we don't really need to spend quite as much time on this other property. Let's focus on Spider-Man. All hands on deck. Yeah, I, I suppose they could go, although budgetarily, given how <laughs> given how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. looks. It has some special effect shots, but the action stuff is never all that awesome on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. No, but... They've had a few decent fight scenes, but... I think Coulson, you know, grappling Kyle McLaughlin with his thighs about his neck was kind of cool in the last episode. <laughs> yes, cool, but doing Spider-Man... Because I was thinking, fine, drop Spider-Man in with a street-level Netflix stuff. Give him yeah. a Netflix series, but you need a whole different level of special effects than what you're getting on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on a week-by-week basis. Potentially, but, you know, if they if they go with street level and he's just, like, really agile, they could probably, with stunt people, come up with enough stuff with practical effects and camera shots. They might be able to come up with something interesting. Yeah, they might be able to, but... Oh, God, the, I'm just flashing back to the Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man <laughs> in 1978-79. Yep, just dangle the guy off the side of the building and watch him scrabble while we drag him up with a crane. Well, I think they've they've tried to do um, more with less because uh, Kyle McLaughlin supposed to be Calvin Zabo, who is Mister Hyde. Yeah, we've never we've seen him have a couple of moments where he's done damage, but everything we've really seen that's supposed to indicate whatever super strength or berserker rage has always been off camera and we always just see the aftermath. We see like the gore spattered room. We see, you know, the, the broken bodies. And you can do that with a character that is not of the huge name. You can't do that with Spider-Man. You just, you can't do it. You can't just come into a room and just see like, you know, web detritus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Web jizz all over the fucking floor. People just lying there exhausted and sticky. We're talking a whole different series here if we're doing that. One that I would watch, but... but uh, With sweaty hand jobs at the, at the drive-in? Wasn't that sweaty. It was sort of fall. And I don't want to talk about this right now. Oh, now you don't want to talk about it. I, all right. I feel shame. I shouldn't have, shouldn't have said anything. But... um. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's got to be movies. You got to find a way to do it, even if it's you, you you figure out a way to fit it in and find the budget for it. Because Spider Man should be a license to print money. I don't disagree. I mean, not to to dwell on Agents of Shield, but now that they've in, introduced the elephant in the room of the Inhumans, and at least two characters are going to have powers as we come back from from the winter hiatus. They're going to have to do something to up their special effects game. Yeah, I, I I think you're right. I think they'd have to. But Daisy Johnson is Quake. And we don't know what Rain has turned into. True, but that could just be a makeup job. And yeah. Quake is not a difficult thing to gin up the you're special right. Shaky effects. Cam. Exactly. <laughs> just go full, full Starship Enterprise bridge. <laughs> yeah, everyone just fling yourselves around. It would certainly work. Yeah, yeah. true. Spider-Man's a different animal. You know, a single movie with Spider that's just a Spider Man movie and have him meet Captain America at the end and bam, you've got him in Infinity War. Yeah. That's all it takes. That's a good point. Um if they go with this idea of making him an adult, um the whole Craven's last hunt idea is the worst fucking idea. 
yeah for a reboot movie i've think i've ever heard and i love craven's last hunt but if you're gonna do it okay we're introducing a new guy as spider-man and a new status quo of he's more grown up spider-man's fucking dead and in the dirt for half the fucking story it's a good point and craven has never been in any of these movies so you're introducing him which means you're eliminating any themes of I'm exhausted and I've spent years battling this, my arch foe. Right. Um, so it eliminates the gravitas of this is the last time I can't do it anymore. And one way or the other, I'm not walking out of this. And if it's at that point, it's Craven's first hunt. Yeah. And that sounds more like a porn title than anything else. Feels like the first time. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, you know what? The more I think about it, the more I think that if Marvel gets Spider-Man back, they spike Garfield, they decide to go with a Miles Morales, they decide to introduce Donald Glover, and you know why? Two words. Russo brothers. Yeah, that's true. He's worked with them. That's a perfect choice, given that. Because, yeah, the, the latest thing is the Russo brothers, if they haven't been confirmed, right now they're at least at the top of the list to direct Infinity War. Yep. So... And there is a rumor um, that they are interested in taking on production responsibilities um, for the Spider-Man franchise for Sony. Yes! <laughs> I like it. I'm for this. I don't know if you could tell, but <laughs> so yeah, it's a that that would all work together. I like this plan. All right, I'm excited to. <laughs> Not even remotely be a part of this. <laughs> I would like to continue to armchair quarterback this. <laughs> yeah. But, so if they're going to do their own Spider-Man story, and, and again, I, I think Craven is a terrible one. Um, Craven's Last Hunt is a terrible one. Because the other thing people forget, you know, I bought those issues when they came out, and there was a huge uproar from parents that there was a story where the antagonist not only commits suicide, but even though he's insane, yeah, and the writers clearly tried to show yeah, this guy is not right, <laughs> but his speech was like, "This is the noble and important thing for me." To parents went ape shit over that, yeah. Now to do that as, hey kids, there's a new Spider-Man movie, and <laughs> we're gonna have Craven with head blown off action, <laughs> the kung fu shotgun grip. It has to come to this. He walks around wearing a lion's head and mane as a vest. Well, <laughs> and yes, suicide should be considered an option. However, um, and he thinks it's normal. <laughs> but if if they're not going to do that, what other story that's untapped can they do? They've done Death of Gwen Stacy, a black cat story. Yeah, I suppose that's possible. Yeah, that would that would be the easy thing to do, and it would certainly get the the romance is a huge part of the story. Sort of, well, no, even then, it turns into like you know a quasi Batman Catwoman story. It's, it's yeah, true. Who's that hot chick? What's she stealing? I should stop her because stealing is wrong. But I feel funny inside. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shooting webbing everywhere. <laughs> I need a jock under this unitard. <laughs> But, um, yes. yeah, it's probably the, <laughs> that's probably the best one, because the only other one I could think of that's a big story that hasn't been done or at least touched on is Sin Eater, 
Yeah. And even that's a fucking no. brutal serial killer story. <laughs> no, it makes sense to go with a black cat story because even if they decide to throw in quasi love interest, um, as far as Felicia is concerned, she's the perfect rebound girl from from Gwen because it's not going to go anywhere because she's a bad guy. So he can have you know convoluted sexual tension, but get it out of his system so he can move on to good good girl Mary Jane. Yeah, th- that makes as much sense as anything. Yeah. Either way, I, I hope this works out. It, it it bothers me that all that we have all these great Marvel movies and Spider Man just can't be a fucking part of it. Yeah. You know, barring Ant Man, <laughs> <laughs> they've really at least tried to get. A-list awesome movies out of these. I think Ant-Man is just going to wind up being a train wreck for circumstances that didn't have to happen. It didn't have to happen, but, you know, not everything, as we say in this house, can be a Picasso. That is true. Um, and some things are going to perform better than others, yeah. And it's not necessarily the death knell of superhero comic book movies if Ant-Man goes poorly, how many shots did they take at Hulk? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and we've talked about that. Hulk shouldn't carry his own movie. And maybe Ant-Man shouldn't have carried his own movie. <laughs> and, and I maintain an Edgar Wright Ant-Man movie would have been twisted and weird and awesome and may have may have wound up with a character in a movie that fits nowhere else in the Marvel Universe, in which case you say, great, we have this quirky, funny story that is a one-off and let's all move on with our lives. Thank yeah. you very much. You know, trying to figure out what the fuck to do with Ant-Man after this. <laughs> I, I don't know. But but yeah, I really want to see Spider-Man in the fucking Marvel Universe. Yeah. I've I found stuff to like about every one of the Spider-Man movies. Even Spider-Man 3 has some moments. Yep. But, yeah, but. <laughs> I, I want to see spider-man working with fucking iron man <laughs> i would like to see and daredevil you know iron man and spider-man having a quip off it's what they do <laughs> yeah it would be fucking awesome <laughs> so i hope they find a way to work this out you know can you actually picture like bruce banner and peter parker and tony stark in a room together <laughs> <laughs> they could make that like a half hour post credit sequence and i would fucking sit there for yeah that. just on the every... dvd like just i'll watch it <laughs> every instant of it Tony Stark trying to do shit with Spider-Man just on the walls around <laughs> with that science brain of his firing ideas off, being the irritating one to Tony Stark. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be fucking glorious. And Donald Glover could fucking hammer the shit out of that. It'd be awesome. Yeah, and, and just with Ruffalo's banner, just <laughs> occasionally, you know, Robert Downey saying to this isn't making you angry. Everything makes you angry. No, nah, I'm good. <laughs> Just sitting back, watching. <laughs> He's all right. You're irritated, and I'm happy about that. I'm, I'm feeling better about me. Kind of feeling centered, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. All right. Faggy. Find a fucking way to make this happen. Make it so, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. How are we doing on time? Oh, it is 106.57. Oh, 107. Okay. It's just as well. We didn't want to turn this into another two-hour magnum <laughs> opus. We just don't have the goddamn energy. No. We, we, no. we should not be allowed into clubs. <laughs> Somebody was giving booze to these goddamn things. 
I thought you were a menace to yourself and others. I I found a few sound clips. You sure did. All right. You want want to talk a couple comics? Let's do that. All right. Which one do you want to do first? Oh, let's talk about Bitch Planet first. All right. So this is going to be kind of a weird one. Yeah. Um, Bitch Planet number one. um, Number one, if nothing else. It's the best goddamn title to a comic book I've heard in quite a long time. (laughs) But... Yeah, Bitch Planet number one, uh, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick, art by Valentine DeLandro. Uh, yeah, there is a planet. Mm-hmm. It is officially called the Auxiliary Compliance Output Outpost, but they call it Bitch Planet. They do. And it's where women who don't toe the line get sent to get them out of society's hair. Well, by toe the line, they're not compliant with whatever society expects them to be. Exactly. And <laughs> what is that? We don't know exactly. It seems to involve having to to be a certain weight, shape, behavior set. Possibly, but we're not entirely sure. You know, what's the ultimate purpose? No one's saying. Yeah, because they have a bunch of, of fairly strong, angry, in most cases, female characters. <laughs> Yes. Um, who seem to be women who can handle their shit. <laughs> At least some of them, yes. And and they're shipped off to this colony that seems to be um, the women of Cell Block H on another planet. Yes. Um, <laughs> by the way, we're going to spoil the hell out of this. And by the end of it, one woman seems to have emerged that seems to have a certain um, something. And they say this is going to be our star. So what is the purpose? Is this like, you know, Arsenal World <laughs> plus women of cell block age? <laughs> yes, plus uh, Battle Royale Hunger Games. Yeah. Plus, yeah. Don't know yet. Don't know yet. What we know is there's tits and ass and violence and somebody who looks to be wrongfully imprisoned, who it looks like we're going to follow until we don't. Until we don't. So. All right. So why don't we start with, did you like it? Um, I mean, I think I need to see where it's going to go. Um, there's clearly certain themes that Kelly Sue DeConnick wants to explore in terms of um, how women are pressured in certain ways by society to be a certain way, um, look a certain way, act a certain way. And and the fears that we face, there's a, a woman, the one that's wrongfully imprisoned, who uh, we find out her husband has traded her in for a younger, more, quotes, cl- compliant model. Um, and she's the one that gets shivved unceremoniously. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Thus switching our focus to um, this other, more um, violent character, who is also African-American, um, thus turning our notions about what we should be following on our head. Yeah, and I, I thought that plot point um, was pretty effective. It certainly pulled the rug out from under, okay, this isn't quite what I was expecting. See, I wasn't sure. Honestly, everybody was like, oh, it's we thought we we're supposed to be following this girl. I wasn't following anybody in particular. It seemed to be sort of an ensemble thing since not all of the identities of the various prisoners had been established yet. I was more interested in the grossly fat one. <laughs> I well, wanted to see what was going to happen. Was she ever going to be able to get her tits into her, her uniform? Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, it's and that's one of the problems that I, I had with this book, uh, with at least this issue was 
there's world building and there's characterization. Yes. There was a lot of world building in this issue. Yes. And not nearly as much characterization, at least around the main characters who we are clearly going to be following forward. Right. Um, world building is fine. Characters are always going to be more interesting. Yes. I think this issue would have been more effective for me had we just spent the time on Bitch Planet with these characters and build out the world over time as opposed to dropping us head on into the, yep, here's what compliance is and here's this dildo husband and here's how people are being dropped here. Not all of that information needed to happen right now. What it really made me want to do, honestly, was actually go back and reread Warren Ellis's Transmetropolitan because I feel that in that particular case, you've got a story that world builds but doesn't, um, sacrifice character development even in the initial issues to the need to world build. Yeah. And I, I feel like there was a lot thrown at us. And yeah, I I I wasn't necessarily feeling like the the frail white girl was the character that we were going to be following, honestly. Because there were so many other characters that were interesting. Well see I did because one of the tropes of these women in prison movies that clearly this is riffing on. Is I'm not that, familiar, frankly. I... <laughs> yeah, well, porn was hard to get when I was a kid. So, <laughs> But uh, there's always a semi-innocent who's thrown into this ah. and has to learn the ropes and how to you know, live through the prison experience and you know, always has some kind of lesbian experience and there's always you know, a rape or an almost rape by the guard. So it, oh, geez, I just went to high school like everybody else. I mean, I don't know why you knew movie. Well... <laughs> But so, yeah, the groundwork was laid for, OK, this is what we're going to get. And and that was chucked and thrown on its head. And again, I, I thought that was effective. Uh, the world building, I would have liked to seen that, like you, like I said, spread out over time. Yeah. Um, the, the tricky part about this for me, and there's nothing wrong with it because not everything has to be for me. But clearly, it was a book I had to read and say. I, I need to understand and be okay with, at least in the scope of this story, I'm the bad guy. I'm a middle-aged white man. I am presented directly in the face of the husband and the bureaucrat. I'm the fucking bad guy. And the, it's okay for me to be the bad guy in a story. But you have to sort of get past that. It's. I think I did okay with it because I generally liked the book. But yeah, the first time I read it, there was a real cognitive of, well, shit, I wouldn't do this. And it's a straight, you know, hey, not all men. <laughs> and I get that. And okay, I got to put that aside. You know, yeah. This guy looks like me. He's not me. But there are certainly people like this. But it, it's a hard thing to potentially get past. Yeah, whereas I'm reading this, you're going, I'm probably already on this planet. <laughs> I did something. I don't know what, but I probably pissed somebody off and I'm on this planet. <laughs> I would never put you on another. No, you wouldn't, but it, I, I would be, I, oh, you had the extra Twinkie. <laughs> it, it, are you kidding me? If there was space travel, I would fucking go there. <laughs> but uh, I would like some estrogen, please. <laughs> but yeah, it's... Uh, I'm not sure to the degree I was able to totally get past it because it's it's a tough thing to get smacked in the face with. Again, that's okay. 
if over time the world building piece sort of moves back and it's about the characters, I'll probably be fine with it. Yeah. If it's just a constant, you're the problem, it may, it may not be a story for me. Not every story has to be for me. I'm not the prime audience of the entire written fucking word, <laughs> no well, matter what. No matter what white guys might think. There's a very good chance that as the story plays out, she may correct course and become more character driven because we saw that happen in her um, Captain Marvel arcs, which also spent a great deal of time up front trying to world build. Here is our feminist sort of utopia and we're following this time travel story and look at these female soldiers that are, you know, yeah. Carol is with and... <laughs> yeah, that didn't work nearly as well for me, but I also recognize I wasn't the target audience. Yeah, but of that it didn't story. work for particularly well for me because it was more about look at this world I'm trying to create for Carol and not about Carol. Yes, I agree <laughs> with you. And and I and I get why she was doing what she was doing, but it didn't make me resonate with Carol any more than if they had spent more time just with Carol and the people in her day-to-day -day life that she was interacting with, which they did a little of in the first couple of issues, but then it was, and we're in World War II. <laughs> yeah. And with with this comic, well, again, I think it was effective to turn everything on its head and say, okay, nope, this is the person we're going to be following. We did not get her name until the last page of the book. Yeah. You know? We also... Which might have been a conscious choice. Yeah. But it means we spent all this time with this world building that just wasn't nearly as effective for me as, like you said, the character points with the actual characters on Bitch Planet. Yeah. Um, we, we also got on that last page that one of the guards or administrator's name is, I kid you not, Shitty. Yep, I caught that. Um, so that was a little on the nose. Yeah. I imagine we'll be meeting Sergeant Douche Nozzle at some point. Maybe it's Skitty. And, uh, maybe it's Skitty. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. And maybe <laughs> maybe it's Warden McRappy. <laughs> so. I'm going to the therapist? No, you're going to the... <laughs> yeah. Um, Art-wise, you know, both the art and the story did a reasonably solid job of, of turning a bit of that old women in prison, those tropes on their head. Right. So like I said, normally it's, oh, yes, the, the wafy half-innocent you know, and, and enough you know, other conventionally attractive people around to know that there's going to be you know, some nice lesbian scene at some point <laughs> along the line. But you know, no, here you get a, a mix of racial faces and body types and to, to really sort of turn that around. So, you know... And yeah, the whole thing, you whack out the white woman, it put me on my heels. I was fairly satisfied with that. I ha Tell me I'm wrong. I really got the impression they created this holographic character called the Catholic. <laughs> yeah. Tell me that wasn't drawn to look like Kelly Sue DeConnick. It's, it's possible. <laughs> uh, I... like, like with the, with the bangs, hair, and the, the poofy lips. Like, <laughs> it, it, it's possible. Duck face. Like, <laughs> I'm... Which she does in her selfies. So I'm not. I'm not making fun. She does it in on Twitter. Uh, leave me out of that, man. I have no idea. That's a conversation that you, as a female, could have with her. I'm just. She. It's there in her timeline. <laughs> okay, but it, I'm not passing judgment. She calls it that. <laughs> it's possible. I have not seen enough recent pictures of 
Kelly Sue DeConnick to be able to say one way or the other. I don't know. Okay. Don't try to fucking hang me out. With I'm that. not. <laughs> I'm not. I mean, I think I think that it's interesting. You know, reading the the back matter of the book. You know, she's she's clearly entering into this knowing that it's it's not going to be an easy story to tell whatever it is that she wants to tell and there's certain parts of it that make her nervous and I, I think when you are shining light in dark places you do have reason to be nervous because you want to tell it right yeah um and yeah you know, I, I, good luck to her i i will follow it but yeah i'm hoping we we see less of this world building and more of tell me about this character and show me through her actions the themes that you want to explore Rather yeah. than the exposition of this character is going to be a douche, which follows this theme, and here's why. Yeah, it's from a, a story standpoint. Yeah, I'd rather see it through the characters. You know, like I said, there was a certain coming to terms with okay, I'm the bad guy here. Yeah, that it may. I'll be honest with you, it might be difficult for me to read over and over and over again. You want to show me I'm the bad guy through these other things. It's probably a, a something I can easily deal with. But, you know, I hate to say it because <laughs> I hate the term, but I'm a white guy. I have privilege. All these stories are about me. I'm the good guy in all the comics. <laughs> so, but it's it's a difficult thing to read. It wasn't, I didn't take it as, you know, oh, I'm being personally called a dildo. And, but. Well, I think, I think. I think it's reasonable to be made uncomfortable by a story um, as long as you're willing to be open-minded about whatever the the message is. You can choose to disagree with it. You can choose to, not you personally, but a reader, reader response criticism is a, a valid thing. Some people take it to the extreme on the internet. <laughs> yes, yes they do. Um, but you know, as, as an English major, it was one of the first um, critical theories we were taught because it's the easiest entry point. How does this story make you feel? Why does it make you feel that way? That's, that's valid. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think I've seen it taken to the extreme in like dumb ass cases. Like somebody I saw online that just was going to refuse to be down with the Planet of the Apes movies because he didn't want to have to deal with any storyline where humans are the bad guys. <laughs> Newsflash, sometimes humans are the bad guys. Yeah. Ask the elephants. Yeah, <laughs> and I certainly recognize plenty of times white guys are the bad guys. It's you know, I say It didn't put me off the book, but with the world-building aspect and the, look, here's a douchebag who looks just like you and just a legitimate scumbag... <laughs> You know, it's okay. I'm a little uncomfortable here, and it's not a bad thing to read things that make you a little uncomfortable. It's probably good for you. You know, comics are generally escapist fiction, but they don't have to be. So, yeah, I do want to see where this is going. It's certainly interesting, but I think there's going to be a reasonable percentage of people who read this and go, "I don't need to be told that I'm a scumbag." And if you can get past it, there's definitely something here to follow for at least a while yeah but it's you know it, there were times it was tough for me to read that doesn't mean it's bad right it means it was tough for me and all right maybe there's something here for me yeah i just uh, hopefully the focus going forward will be about the characters and what they encounter and and how they work through it again i go back to transmit the story really transmit it made me want to go back and read transmit and and that's fair 
So, yeah, there, there was definitely enough here to like, even though it was challenging for me. You know, I'll, I'll see how it goes for a while. It may turn out if it's constant world building and it's here's another douchebag who's just like you and another douchebag. Yeah. Okay, fine. I get it. I'm the bad guy. Okay, I'm sorry. And it may not be a story for me, but not every story has to be for me. Yeah. So, got anything else on this one? No, I I don't disagree with you. I, I like I said, I I want it to be about the characters and and telling the themes through what the characters' actions are and and what they encounter, rather than you know, dude that is the monster of the week and the exposition. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely some stuff here to like. We'll we'll keep checking it out. Yeah. All right. Speaking of monster of the week. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, we'll go straight to <laughs> and this is a book I've been reading from the beginning and I could not have fucking believed it that how good it was and how good it continues to be. It Afterlife with Archie. And this uh, is a book actually that makes me um, want to commit a certain amount of violence against a specific woman, and that is Veronica, but we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. Um, that so yes, uh, Afterlife with Archie, number seven, uh, written by uh, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. Yes. What kind of parents would name their kid that? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, art by Francesco Francavilla. Yes. Um, so yeah, uh, right now we're a month after the zombie apocalypse in the Archie universe. Uh, Archie and the Riverdale gang. Are the on one, the run. Yeah, the ones that are still alive anyway. <laughs> um, uh, yes, they're walking toward the uh, Pittsburgh CDC Center, as if they've never seen The Walking Dead. <laughs> but uh, as they go, they've got internal tensions that are starting to flare up in the group. Um, even though Archie and Betty at least seem to have finally... Seems Archie's finally fucking chosen. Yes. All it takes is the death of the world for him to finally <laughs> shit or get off the pot. Well, you know, when when you're on the run because of the zombie apocalypse, that's when you start to realize the things that are most important to you. <laughs> Apparently blondes. <laughs> Archie's going to bitch planet. <laughs> Very specific blonde because yes. <laughs> they get into a whole bunch of stuff with this. <laughs> that's true. Well, no, that's a redhead. <laughs> No, no, because um, they get into this whole thing. Betty, Betty is trying to recreate the experience of keeping her diary. And and so she's reminiscing and trying to retell stories that she had in her old diary that she lost because of the zombie apocalypse. And some of those explore her relationship with her sister, Polly. Yes. Who is blonde. Okay, that is and, true. And there's a point she makes of noting that when Archie moved in next door, her sister took notice and wanted to switch rooms with her so that she could get Archie's attention and then promptly switched back when Archie had no interest in her. <laughs> well, like the kids say, tits are get the fuck out. Clearly she wasn't willing to commit. <laughs> I was once a 13-year-old boy. I would have paid attention if she was willing to go whole hug. To be fair. Jesus, I am the bad guy from Bitch Planet. <laughs> All right, I get it. <laughs> Anyway, you were saying. Um, I'm sorry. Am I supposed to flash my tits now? I'm, I'm very confused about <laughs> you know, where this conversation's it, going. It would be appreciated. It's not mandatory. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this series has been working for me on a couple of levels. And I've written some stuff about it. But number one, it, it's a pretty solid straight ahead zombie apocalypse survivor story. It's working on that level. But it's one that has the Archie characters in it. Oh, I know. And it's it's great. <laughs> well, it's, and every character is the archetype of some good old-fashioned American Americana culture 
point. Archie's but turned the... on its head to a certain degree. <laughs> well, at, at this point, yeah, but I mean, Archie's always been the boy next door. Betty's always been the girl next door. Veronica is the rich mean girl. Reggie's the spoiled fucking rich tool. Mr. Lodge is the entitled rich white guy. And but... if we're going to take a second, though, to talk about, like, you know... <laughs> How these, given what we were just talking about with with Bitch Planet and some of the other things that we we've been discussing over the last several weeks, Reggie is nice guy Reggie. Oh Jesus! <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm a nice guy. Do I have to beat that truth into you? Um, and I just I love what they're doing though in terms of of just sort of exposing the 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 underbelly of of these americana it's it's norman rockwell if the turkey on the table had started to rot <laughs> yeah it's the, all that americana is basically 50s iconography yeah um the 50 when america was on top and there was plenty of everything and there were jobs and and that this is you pull the rug out from under all of that and see how it starts to fall apart yeah the Blossom family. Yeah. <laughs> Ginger and whatever the other one, um, the boy, Kevin, no, not Kevin. Um, uh, I forget his name. Well, he's dead now. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's dead and he will not be missed. But they they have this whole extended scene with that family in, in flashback before the zombie apocalypse where they're sitting at Thanksgiving. What are you thankful for? And, and it really comes across like, you know, dad and mom are thankful for each other and the family they were able to create. But there's this vibe of because we're brother and sister and we fucked and we gave birth to you two twins. Yeah. <laughs> like some sort of fucking flowers in the attic shit. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, just very creepy. The Blossom family. Um. <laughs> creepy and entitled and we're rich and therefore we can live however we want. As vile as it is. Yeah. And, and you know, when Cheryl makes the mistake of being thankful for her dog, Sugar, her brother kills it. And then she realizes this as they're out on the road and kills her brother. <laughs> yeah. She's clearly a deeply broken person. And, I don't blame her. And... Well, I mean, the thing is, early in these issues... Yeah, we see them making out. Well, <laughs> I first bought this book because, yeah, the owner of my local comic store said, yeah, you really should check this out. I'd never bought an Archie comic in my life. Yeah. So the the main characters, I knew who they were. The, these Blossom kids, I don't think I'd ever seen them before. And then when we finally saw them in the second or third issue with this horrible incest vibe, I'm like, what the... <laughs> what the fuck is a, a gear Sakasa? Parents would name their kid that. <laughs> What's he doing with this? It's really kind of awesome. And then he just, as creepy as it was, made it creepier in this to the point where it did. Yeah, okay, the fratricide, go for it. That guy's a prick. I hope he dies screaming. I hope you took your time on him. I don't think she did. I think it was quick. <laughs> well, angry. She, she'll learn. She's going to Bitch Planet. <laughs> but it. But by presenting all these archetypes in this catastrophe, you, you get a microcosm of, yeah, what would happen if we all lost everything? Yeah. You know, we, we've got the battle over leadership between Archie and Mr. Lodge. Yep. Who seems to be a theme that we keep talking about in this episode <laughs> as, a, as a rich middle-aged white guy feels that his words should be... Law. Yeah, absolutely. Um People who have been privileged are losing that role. Veronica has lost all her money, and now she's apparently lost Archie, and she's reacting poorly to it. 
And well, I mean, it's the one glaring moment in this book was when Betty said flat out to Veronica, check your privilege. Like, does anybody ever actually say that outside of the Internet? I don't know. I, I've I've never been told it, but okay. but I'm pretty privileged. Nobody fucks with me. <laughs> but hey, hey, Rob, check your privilege. <laughs> I mean, my wang, right? <laughs> Is that... I don't. But yeah, put that away too. <laughs> but um, you know, if this thing, if this story continues to go on this line, eventually, yeah, we're gonna see Veronica using sex with Reggie. To create an alliance to try to seize power. I mean, if you if you read the Stand or any post apocalyptic, that's yeah things that happen. Well, they should anyway because you know, like gets with like, and then their little blue blooded genes can can create little mutant children that'll die out because they're too weak and thin to live. <laughs> but the cool thing about this story is, if you told me when I before I'd cracked the first issue, when it's just like you know, okay, comic store owner, I'll try it. If you told me it would reach the point, I can totally see in eight or ten issues you know, Veronica using sex as a weapon yeah. to attack Arch. I could see that happening. Yeah. Well, she's got you know, nothing left. Yeah. And the fact they're willing to go. Well, actually, no. She's got Smithers. <laughs> <laughs> She'll eat him. Oh, probably. <laughs> I mean... You, you go after the domestic animals first. Well, apparently, though, Smithers is like the go-to guy. He's got a magic sastral, and I say that jokingly, but it seems to have everything in it. <laughs> so so she's got that one thing. If she denies people access to Smithers. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But I, I did like in this episode, the episode, this issue, they gave at least the nod to, shouldn't Sabrina have fixed all this right now? Yeah, and she's off busy dealing with Cthulhu-like creatures. <laughs> yeah, which was in a whole separate comic book yeah. which was actually also pretty solid so so yeah he's built this entire horrible world where yep these are these characters yeah but oh no they've lost everything and they're going to keep losing it yep um that that said it, it is there, there was some ham-fisted stuff you know betty giggling over archie's beard okay yep all right he, Yep, yeah, but they're teenagers. Yeah, but he's becoming a man now. That's why he's got a beard. Um, well, it's easier you know. to show that, I guess, than to say, check out my pubes. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm fuzzy. Yeah, he, Yeah. okay, the writer hasn't gone far enough to, for me to believe that would happen. <laughs> um, and One thing that bothered me is, okay, now we're calling the zombies the horde. One thing I liked about this was everybody just called them zombies. All these zombie stories seem to take place in a world where nobody's ever seen a fucking zombie movie before. So you've got, you know, walkers or biters. At least here it was like, nope, they're zombies. We got an idea what this is. Yeah, to to suddenly say, no, it's the horde. Oh, come well, on. Well, that was Kevin's fault because he wanted to, like, you know, make it a nicer sounding word or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. But that wouldn't catch on. Here's a zombie movies. And I recognize... You know, we'll get somebody hitting us on Facebook or something saying, you know, in Night of the Living Dead, Romero never used zombies. Yeah, I know. He used ghouls once or twice. It, there's, it's 2014. There's zombies. We all know they're fucking zombies. Well, is this supposed to take place in present day now? Or is this supposed to take place in their, in their sort of rarefied 50s and we're examining it? I'm pretty sure it's present day and I'm just going by memory from earlier so I'm fairly uh, certain if I had been a part of that party and, you know, Kevin had blurted out, oh, we're calling it the Horde, Horde. I'm like, stop cracking World of Warcraft crap. <laughs> like, <yeah>. They're zombies. <laughs> yeah. 
but no, I'm pretty sure it's present day. I, I think there have been references to DVDs and okay. uh, various things, but I, I'm going from memory off early issues. I wouldn't bet my life on it, but I really don't get a 50s vibe off of this beyond it's Riverdale and you're yeah. supposed to. Okay. So, and yeah, I mean, Franca Villa's art, it's always awesome. Um, there were not a lot of huge, he's done stuff in earlier issues of this that were really big and cool. There wasn't a lot of that in this. It was, you know, that pulpy look is really good for a zombie story. Yeah. Um, that last big panel of Cheryl coming out of the woods covered in blood with a machete, <laughs> that could have come straight from a 70s grindhouse poster. I love that image. Call me Blaze. But, <laughs> yeah, I want somebody to explain that to me. But, um, oh, yeah, it can't be the 50s because uh, Betty talked about Carrie. That's right. Yeah. So, okay. We're at least in the 70s. At least. Um. But yeah, it's and it surprised me from the beginning. Is that yeah, they're doing a really good zombie story and really turning all this around. He's turned Riverdale into almost Twin Peaks after yeah. the zombie apocalypse, where everybody's got secrets and nothing is quite what you've all, always thought from the original books. This is just really fucking good. It is. It's. It's it's well told. I mean, and and the characters still maintain their identity from the original Archie universe. You know, you, you hate Veronica, and you still find Betty a little too eh, Pollyanna. Like, yeah, like there's Archie has no good choice there. He's he's going with the best of what he's got in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Because yeah, the redheads crazy, insane, <laughs> killing people now. So. And we never know what kind of fine specimen of a woman Ethel will have turned into because she's a zombie now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. She could have pulled it together. She could have. But, oh well. <laughs> zombie apocalypse fucks everything up. But yeah, you know, mean girl Veronica makes me want to bounce her head off a sink. And <laughs> But she's supposed to? Yeah, so... but she's supposed to. <laughs> so it's even well written with that. You can't like every character. It's true. So anything else on this one? Or? No, it's just, it's a great book. And if people haven't picked it up to start looking at it, um, please do so. Cause damn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and even my, in my early written reviews of it where I'm like, okay, this is a, they're doing a decent PG 13 version of it. No, it has just gotten better and better and better. It's forget the Archie. It's a good zombie story and it uses those archetypes definitely to its, its benefit. Yeah. So all right. So is that it for today? I think it is. How are we doing on time? Oh, it's like one thirty-eight. It's like the old days. We were coming in roughly in an hour and a half. That's right. <laughs> nobody needs that extra. Nobody needs that extra half hour. Yeah. Because by then I'm on my third beer and I stopped making sense anyway. So. <laughs> All right. So yes, uh, you can always find us uh, at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. Uh, had a problem there for a few days. I'd done an upgrade, and it was always going to our mobile website that should be fixed now. If you see something, uh, let us know, because you can email us at crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. Uh, we are on Facebook. We're trying to do a little bit more of that, but we certainly get messages from it. You can get a link to our uh, Facebook page on our home website. Yes. We're active on Twitter. At Infinite Midlife. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, we are... Uh, on iTunes, uh, if you happen to find this on there, do us a favor, shoot us a review, uh, you know, give us a rating, because um, yeah, it, we like hearing from you, listeners. We so, do. Yeah, shoot us a message through whatever particular format or platform you happen to like. 
Um, except yes. no MySpace. You'll never see us on MySpace. No. Um, yes, we're proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. Network. And I guess that is it. This That's has it. been uh, episode 46 yes. of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. I'm not going for the soundboard. Thank you. <laughs>